0: Uh, you can open your Bible to Second Samuel 11, 2 Samuel 11, 2nd Samuel 11. And I did part 1 last week, this is on pornography and adultery. So as jy nou know vanavond die woord adultery hoor, as jy nie weet wat is dit in Afrikaans, it's so pornography and adultery. Part 2, Second Samuel 11. Let's go to the Lord once again in prayer, and then we'll hear the word of the Lord. Our Father in heaven, again we come to you, most holy and exalted Lord of glory. We pray that you would give us an open heart to receive the truth of your word, and that the Holy Spirit would work in sanctifying power to change us into the image of Jesus Christ, and to help us to be holy, for you are holy. Set us apart unto Yourself anew, afresh. Consecrate us anew and help us, Lord, to consecrate ourselves, to commit ourselves to You anew as our God and Father, as our Lord and Saviour, as our Comforter and our Guide, and to walk in the footsteps of Jesus our Lord, also when it comes to the purity of our thoughts, of our words, and of our actions. In Jesus' name. Amen. An old man and a younger man were walking in a mall. And as they're walking, an attractive woman walks by, but she's not dressed properly. She's very immodestly dressed, Unbeskaya, uh, low blouse, short skirt, tight clothes. And as they walk past, the younger man says, they're both Christians, the younger man says to the older man, he sighs. He says, I wish, I wish that I could reach that age where a woman dressed like that is no longer a temptation to me. And then the older Christian says, I also wish I could reach that age. <laughs> just meaning it's not just, it's not just a temptation for younger men. John MacArthur tells of a man he visited in hospital. The man's on his deathbed. The man's a Christian. And he talks to the man about heaven and about dying and and then the man starts crying, but crying that he could see it's not tears of happiness, this is tears of sadness. And MacArthur says, what's wrong? Aren't you excited that you're going to see the Lord Jesus face to face? And the man says, no, I am excited, but I'm also ashamed. And MacArthur says, why, what's wrong? And he said, 78 years old, I never really got victory over pornography. And MacArthur says, wow, wow. I was horrified when I heard that. Seventy-eight years old. Stewart Olliot, a Welsh preacher, I, I recently listened to a, an interview done with him, and he said the older he gets, he never thought this would happen, but the older he gets, he's also, I think he's, uh, what's it, 1942, so he's 79 years old. And he says the older I get the more intense the temptations become. Temptations to pride and impurity. Impurity. 79 years old. Wow. So tonight's message then is a very serious message for all of us. You know, the temptation to pornography, the temptation to lust and pornography and adultery is a real problem among Christians. And it's not, only, it's not only a problem for young Christians. It's not only a problem for men. Uh, John Piper, at a conference he preached at, said in the sermon, he said, it is, it is now said according to statistics that 40% of you women are enslaved by pornography. And to take that a step further, of all pornographic websites, pornographic webtasters, pornographic websites, one in three of the people who visit those websites are women. And furthermore, that many women, they don't have a problem with visual pornography, watching pornographic images, but reading romantic novels where the novel goes and now it's going too far. Now the man and woman starts kissing and they do things they shouldn't be doing and eventually they tumble into bed. So let's take heed when the Bible warns us against these sins. The Bible wouldn't have to warn us if it's not a real temptation even for Christians but it warns us because it is an issue. It is something we have to fight. We have to battle. We have to stand against. We have to say no to. And don't be like Augustine. He didn't heed the warning of his mother. His mother warned him against lust. And he even writes in his confessions, he said, uh, Augustine lived in the year, in the 400s AD. And Augustine said, he didn't heed the, temp- uh, the warnings of his mother because he said it, it sounded to me like womanish advice. It's a woman's advice and I'm too embarrassed, I'm too ashamed to follow the instructions of a woman. Well what a fool and what a great sadness that Augustine did not listen to his mother and he did go into the way of lust and eventually uh, adultery or fornication and had a, a woman he lived with and had a child with her and then left her and then had another woman. Um, And it caused deep wounds in Augustine's life and almost destroyed him, but for the grace of God, where God saved Augustine and set him free. So what I'm saying to you this evening, if you're an older man, if you're an older woman, younger man, younger woman, a boy, a girl, heed the advice, listen to the advice, listen to the teaching of Scripture, Listen to the warning of Scripture, and I preach that especially to myself as I am the preacher tonight. And the Bible warns us that we should not say but not do. And the Bible warns us, let him that thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. So let us all listen to the warnings of Scripture. Now just to refresh your memory. So last week I did the first five verses, and let me just uh, refresh you. On this. So, David, he's supposed to be on the battlefield uh, fighting against the Ammonites, but he didn't do so. And then you have these three steps leading to David's sin of committing adultery. Step number one was pride. And we saw that because in chapter 8 and chapter 10, God had given David victory over his enemies. And David became proud, David became puffed became puffed up. Look at me. I've conquered my enemies. I don't need to go to war anymore to fight. I can just send my army. I can send my general, Joab, and and they can do the battle for me. I'll just stay in Jerusalem. Pride goes before a fall. You lift yourself up. You lift up your heart. You puff yourself up, and the next thing is you fall hard. Second sin that led to his adultery uh, was idleness, ledigheid, laziness, He just stayed home. He just had an afternoon nap. Maybe it wasn't an afternoon nap at all. Maybe it was just lying in bed all day, only getting up late in the afternoon, going for a walk on the palace roof. So if you have nothing to do, the devil will help you to find something to do. And then the third step that led to his adultery, we saw, was lust. And that's why I gave lots of instruction and practical help against the sin of pornography. Because... It starts with lust. It doesn't start with meeting a woman and jumping into bed or meeting a man and jumping into bed. It starts with sinful desire, sinful lust, a sinful passion, a sinful drive. I want more. Uh, I'm dissatisfied with what God has given me, either being single or with the husband or wife God has given me. And so it starts with lust. As David looked at this woman, saw a woman bathing, and he lusted, he stared at her, and then eventually said, who, who's, who is this woman? And he found out this is Bathsheba, the wife of Uriah. And so he calls her, sleeps with her, and then she sends a message, uh-oh, I'm pregnant. And so that's where we pick up the story this evening. I'm not going to read the rest of the chapter. Uh, it's quite long from verse 6 to 25 or 27. But as I move along, I'm going to tell the story. So last week, uh, the first point, the first two characters we looked at was David and Bathsheba. That's the woman. Uh, the second set of characters is David and Uriah. This is Bathsheba's husband. He doesn't know yet. He's on the battlefield, but his wife's pregnant um, by another man. So that's verse to 25. I remember when I was in primary school. A young guy, also in primary school, another boy, a year older than me. I, I've never told anyone about this, except my wife knows about this but he pushed me against the wall. He was bigger than me. I was a small kid when I was in primary school. Actually, when I was 14 years old, I, I weighed uh, 33 kilograms, and I was 1.5 meters tall. Even in my second year at seminary, I was tall as I was now, but I only weighed 56 kgs. Um, nevertheless, so this boy was bigger than me, stronger than me, and he pushed me against the wall, and he tried to satisfy his sexual lust on me, Just for a few seconds, 30 seconds or something, and I couldn't get out. And when he had done, he said to me, if you tell anyone, I'll kill you. I remember that. He threatened me with death. Now, obviously, I don't think he would really kill me. But David, that's the point I'm trying to make. David didn't just threaten. David actually killed someone to try and cover up his sin. Now, this is how it happened. So David, in verse 6, We read, David sends a message to Joab. Joab is the general of the army of Israel. So he sends a message to Joab, and he says, Please send me Uriah the Hittite. Now this is the husband of this woman he's committed adultery with. Please send me Uriah. And what he wants to do is he's trying to cover up his sin. He wants Uriah, come quickly. When he hears the woman's pregnant, come quickly. Hey, Uriah, um, tell me, how's it going on the battlefield? Verse 8. So this is from verse 6 to 8. How's it going? In verse 7, he asks him, so he's actually just, he's acting uh, like he really cares about what's going on in the war, but actually wants, to, he wants this guy to go home to sleep with his own wife, so that the guy, when the kid is born, he'll just say, oh, wonderful, I have a son, not knowing it's actually David's son. David had made this woman pregnant. <coughs> so he tells him in verse 8, go home, uh, go and wash your feet. Hmm. because after you've washed your feet, you get into bed. Some, some people think that's a euphemism. That's a, a softer way of saying, sleep with your wife. But really, that is what David wants. And so David even sends a gift. The guy's left, and now he sends a messenger. say, so says, take, take this gift to Uriah, just to kind of soft-soap him so uh, Uriah won't suspect anything. And he won't think, oh, something's going on. Hey, look how kind the king is to me. And then, of course, Uriah doesn't go home, verse 9. It simply says that he goes and sleeps at the palace door. And then it says, the servants come in verse 10. They tell David, did you know Uriah didn't sleep at home last night? Uh-oh. Now, he has trouble because he didn't go home to his wife, slept at the palace door with the other gods. And then in verse 11, Uriah said to David, The ark of Israel, because David says, Why didn't you go home? I told you to go home. Just enjoy an evening with your wife. And he says, Well, uh, really, verse 11, The ark and Israel and Judah dwell in booths. They're living in tents on the battlefield. And my lord Joab, the general, and the servants of my lord are camping in the open field. Shall I go to my house to eat and drink and to lie with my wife? Should I go and have sex with my wife? As you live, as your soul lives, I will not do this thing. Now look at this. Uriah is a more loyal servant than David. Uriah is loyal to his king. He's loyal to the army of Israel. He's loyal to his God. Where's David? David's supposed to be on the battlefield. He's not. He's lounging around in Jerusalem in in the palace. And then David keeps Uriah in Jerusalem. No, 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 don't go back. He says in verse 11 or 12, he says, no, just stay for another night. And he doesn't know what David's up to. David's now planning something else. So he invites him, says the verse. He says, uh, why don't you come for dinner tonight? Come to the palace in verse 13. And then David makes him drunk in the hope that if, if Uriah's drunk, in his drunken state, in his drunkenness, he might go home and sleep with his wife. Remember, you have a similar story in the book of Genesis. Genesis chapter 19. You've got Lot and his, his, his daughters make him drunk and then they sleep with their dad. What a horrible story. But now David hopes the same thing might happen. If Uriah's drunk, he'll go home, sleep with his wife. But he doesn't. He doesn't. It says in verse 13, he went to sleep where the rest of the servants sleep, like in the, the servants' quarter or in the army quarter, the soldiers' quarter. So he goes there, sleeps there, doesn't go to his house, and now David's really in trouble. Now David needs to make another plan because things aren't going according to plan. And poor Uriah, David's plan is now backfired. Now, now David's got, uh, the, the plan is backfired. Now he's got a backup plan. And just think, you know, I need to make this guy disappear like the mafia does. Make a plan, make the guy disappear, get rid of him. And so he sends a message to Joab in verse 14 and 15. He knows Joab will help him because Joab has murdered someone else before. Joab has committed murder in chapter 3. And he knows, you know, I can just ask Joab, sort this out for me. And so he sends the message to Joab and says, please help me to sort out the issue. What I want you to do is uh, you go quite close to the city because they're besieging a city. They're besieging a city, and I want you to push some of of the, the best soldiers closer, and then you make Uriah go closest, and then he'll probably be shot by the archers. He'll be killed. And so... David writes it in a letter, seals the letter with a king's seal, and sends the letter with uriah. Now imagine that. you're carrying your own death warrant, you don't even know it, and say, does he do its fullness. for up." I think people do the same thing today. Many people still follow David's example, don't they? So they don't kill the husband. Here's a guy. He sleeps with another woman. He doesn't go and kill the husband or the woman sleeps with another. She doesn't, she doesn't go and kill that man's wife. But what do they do? They kill the baby. So this guy has committed adultery. Oh, you need to drink a tablet. Go to the chemist and get a pill and swallow this tablet and it will abort the baby. Or go to the doctor. Oops. The woman's pregnant. Ask the doc- doctor to help you murder the kid. What a sadness. So you kill the baby for your sin. And that's what happens often. Abortion. That's why abortion exists. John MacArthur once preached a sermon on this and said the, reason, the actual reason, reason for the whole drive of abortion is I want sex with whom I want sex. And no one can tell me uh, with whom I may have sex And I don't want any consequences, so just get rid of the consequences, murder the baby. The same type of thing David does here, just murders the husband for his sin. And Job was, oh, he was too ready. He was really all in, helping David to to get this plan into action. But actually, he bettered David's plan. He made it even better, because he didn't push Uriah forward. And say, so, Uriah, you go forward. Verse 16 and 17 said, "A number of soldiers, he pushed them forward. Because if he just pushes Uriah forward, someone's going to smell a rat. Imman, "Iman gras. Why push Uriah forward? Hmm, I wonder what's going on." No, no, let's just push some of David's uh, bravest soldiers to the front. They'll do this thing, and then from the wall, the Ammonites just pull their bows and they, the archers kill these soldiers. And then the next thing that happens is you see Job sends this messenger in verse 18 18 to 21. Job sent and told David all the news about the fighting. And now he instructs the messenger and says, I want you to go to David. Tell him this is what happened. Uh, We came close to the city as we were besieging. We accidentally got too close to the wall. And then the archer shot and David... Some of your men have died in battle. We're really sorry about this. So tell that to King David, Job says to the messenger. And then if David loses his temper and said, what are you doing? That's not military strategy. That's not how you fight a war. You know the archers are going to shoot. You don't get too close to the city wall. Don't you remember what happened in in Judges chapter 9, Richter's Niercha, when that... Uh, man Abimelech came to the tower and tried to ram the tower or set it the light there was a woman with an upper millstone a heavy stone a swar millstone and she dropped it and crushed Abimelech's skull and he died why do you go too close to the wall so when David says that Joab now talking to the messenger you just tell him I'm sorry David uh, Joab says Uriah also dead that's what David wants to hear and so the messenger goes back Returns to David. And then when he gets to David, he says everything. And he, even does, he doesn't wait for David to lose his temper. He just says, Uriah is also dead. He doesn't know what this means. He just knows that's probably what David wants to hear. So Uriah the Hittite is dead also, verse 24. And then David says, verse 25. Thus shall you say to Job, don't let this matter trouble you. Don't worry about this Uh, Joab, The sword devours now one and now another. Strengthen your attack against the city and overthrow it and encourage Joab. Don't worry about this issue. We, We should just go forward. Don't be upset. This is how things happen in battle. Listen, now was not the time to encourage Joab. Now was not the time to say, Don't worry, Joab. Just strengthen the attack against the city. Overthrow the city. Actually, what David should have done is David should have wept. David should have mourned. David should have cried because Uriah is dead. The sol- a number of his bravest soldiers have died. And now their wives are widows. Now their children are fatherless. You see what sin does. <coughs> sin is selfish. And sin causes us to be selfish Sin doesn't care about God. Sin doesn't think of God's honor and God's glory, what will be pleasing to God. Sin doesn't care about other people. How are they doing? Will this help them? doesn't care about their welfare. What sin cares about is me, what I want, and what I want now. You live for the pleasure of the moment, and you don't think of the consequences. You don't think of the pain that will follow. Proverbs 5 to 7, just read those three chapters. It's all about adultery. It's all about sexual sin. It's all about lust. And you look at the consequences. No, but lust doesn't think about that. Lust thinks about what can I have and what can I have now. I want to encourage you to think about the consequences. Think about the consequences of fighting the fighting that there's going to be the money you're going to waste the time you're going to waste the pain that divorce brings because you're going to waste money and time in court think of the consequences before you go further the consequences the tears think of your children crying at night crying themselves to sleep because of what mom has done because of what dad has done and now there's a big fight in the house think about the other person's children You're committing adultery with that man or that woman. Think of their children weeping at night because their father has been unfaithful, their mother has been unfaithful. Think of the parents, the division it brings. Think of not just the division it brings, divorce, but the division, now the kids are split up. And now this kid has to go to mom, and this kid has to go to dad. And you see dad every second weekend, or you see mom uh, every holiday. You go there, you have two 21st birthday parties, two 13th birthday parties, two 16th birthday parties. Because mom and dad don't want to be together at the same party. And it's always this fighting and division. And think of this, that your child is going to get a new daddy and a new mommy. Because what's going to happen is now there's an ugly divorce, husband and wife separate, and wife gets remarried. And husband, well, he's got this new fling. And so now, oh, now my daughter's got a new daddy at this house or a new mom. Think of the sadness. Think of the disappointment of your family. What's your brother going to say? What's your sister and your, your parents, what they're going to say? Or your children, what they're going to say? Why do you? What were you thinking? No, you weren't thinking. And the anger. Think of the sadness of the other church members when they find out you've committed adultery. Think out of this the how you'll grieve the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit will be sad. I saw Think of the name of Jesus you drag through the mud because of your sin. Because you're thinking with your hormones and not with your brains. Think of how you, how you smear the reputation of, of your own name. Your own reputation is blackened because now you've got the label of an unfaithful person. And I know that can be forgiven if you repent and turn to Christ. But if you're going to toy with sin and play with sin, that's what's going to happen. Think of unbelievers. Who are you? Who are you? You're going to tell an unbeliever to turn to Jesus, to repent of their sin and say, who are you? To say that to me, you didn't repent of your sin. You're, not, you're, you're toying with sin. You're playing with sin. You want to tell me to believe in Jesus? Thank you, but no thank you. And so you're smearing your testimony. You're blemishing your own testimony. Think of the joy that Satan will have and demons will have because they've trapped another one. Think of what the court is going to say, that the court is going to say to you, you split everything. Or the court is going to say, you pay alimony. You're going to pay uh, X amount a month to support that woman or to support the children or what it may be. Think of this, you might get a sexually transmitted disease. Think of that, or think of the sickness you're going to have because of stress, because of all the trouble. Oh, sorry, employer. Sorry, boss. I can't come to work. It's court case again. And this court case, you know, in our country, it gets dragged out and dragged out. You're in court for years or months. Think of this, that you'll be disciplined. That there will be discipline from the Lord through the church. That there will be church discipline. That your name will be mentioned in front of a meeting of members, of church members. Where we say, we have sad news today. So and so. And put your own name in there, just to warn yourself. So and so. I'm going to put my name in for a moment. We've got sad news. Our pastor has committed adultery. And he's no longer our pastor. Please pray for his family. Now please put your name in where I put mine in. So that you can wake up and shake up to say this is serious. If you're toying with sin, if you're playing with sin, be warned. 1 Corinthians 5, you go and read it. What happens with church discipline? Think of the other person's spouse. You've committed adultery with that woman. Think of her husband. You've committed adultery with that man. Think of his wife. His wife's going to hate you. The husband's going to hate you. They might even take revenge on you. Think of the children, that person's children. Those children Those children will hate you. You've taken away our mother. You've taken away our father. Think of how you soil and damage your own conscience, how your conscience feels guilty at night. You can't sleep because you know what you've done. You remember what you've done. And then worst of all, think of hell. Think of hell because that's the ultimate price and the ultimate consequence. If you, if you toy with sin and play with sin, it'll drag you down. And you might just say, I'm going to do this. The Lord will always forgive me. I can just turn back and confess my sins. Martin Lloyd-Jones says, for that attitude, you go and try that. You try that. And you'll see it's not as easy. It's not so easy. You'll find yourself in a snare and a net. You'll call out and heaven will be silent. Don't play with sin. Hebrews 13 verse 4 warns, Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be sanctified. Keep the marriage bed holy, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterers. Revelation 21 verse 8 says, the sexually immoral, their place will be, their portion will be in the lake of fire. So do not play, not with this sin, not with any sin. Let us hate sin. Let us flee sin. Let us fight sin. Remind yourself of these consequences, saying, if I commit adultery, if I keep on playing with pornography, this is where it will end. James 1, I quoted it to you last week. Verse, chapter 1, verse 14 and 15. Sin is progressive. Sin grows. You can't say, I'm just going to do this, and then I'll stop. Sin grows. It wants more. It feeds on more. I want more. I want more. Until where it ends, it tricks you. It traps you. It ends in death. A woman said that to a man in the 1600s. I read this in a book, a Puritan paperback, by an old preacher. And it's called The Sinfulness of Sin, is the title of the book, by Ralph Venning. And Ralph Venning says, he talks of this woman who worked for a man in England in the 1600s as a maidservant. And the man said to the maidservant, I want you to sleep with me. Sleep with me, I'll... I'll do anything for you. Anything you ask me, I'll do it for you if you just sleep with me. She said, okay. Uh, I want you to put your hand in the fire and burn your hand. He said, you're unreasonable. You're being unreasonable. You can't ask me to do that. And then she said, aren't you being more unreasonable by asking me to sleep with you, knowing that if I go the path of sin, my whole body will burn in hell? third set of characters. Last week, David and Bathsheba. And the f- second set we had now was David and Uriah. Third set, David and the Lord. That is in verse 26 and 27. Now, let's say he has a child. And this child, he's always telling lies to his parents. So when, when they confront him about something, he's done something wrong, he tells a lie and he wriggles out of it. He wiggles himself out And he doesn't get punished. And then next time again, he tells a lie, gets away with it by telling lies. Sooner or later, that child is not going to get away with these lies. Even if he gets away his whole childhood, he gets away by telling lies. Somewhere he's going to have to face the music, and somewhere he's going to get caught, and then he has to face the police. Because he got away with stuff, and then he thought, I can get away. And then he does worse stuff, and he gets away. And he does worse stuff and gets away. And in the end, he steals a car, robs a bank, kills someone, rapes someone, and he doesn't get away. And that's what David tried. David thought, I'll get away. I'll cover my sin. Just get the husband to sleep with a woman, and they'll think it's his kid. And eventually, when that doesn't work, David kills the man. He does it through Joab. Just makes it looks like an look like an accident. It's an accident, you know, battles happen, <laughs> soldiers die. And he thinks he's gotten away, but he hasn't gotten away. David didn't get away because David tells Joab, even though he told Joab in verse 25, don't let this matter trouble you. Verse 27 ends, The thing that David had done displeased the Lord. Oh, let's just get married quickly. So quickly, after the time of mourning, Oh, you really sad about your husband. I'm sorry Uriah died. Let's get married. And so quickly they get married, and now no one will know. It'll just look like, Oh, <laughs> cute, honeymoon baby. Actually, the Hebrew says, I checked this in verse 25, David says to uh, Joab, don't let this thing be wrong in your eyes. Don't let this thing be displeasing in your eyes. The very same Hebrew word in verse 27, but it was wrong in the Lord's eyes. It was displeasing in the Lord's eyes. So it doesn't matter if it's displeasing or not in Joab's eyes. What matters is, what does God say? And God says, this thing is not pleasing to me. God saw what David had done. God saw the whole thing. God sees what you and I do. Proverbs chapter 5 verse 21, it speaks of the Lord's eyes that see everything. I know 2 Chronicles 16 verse 9 says that the eyes of the Lord run to and fro, yen and veer, across the earth. But in Proverbs 5 verse 21, talk in the The whole chapter is about adultery, and it says, A man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord. He ponders all his paths. God sees everything you do everywhere you go. Proverbs 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. So God sees what you and I do. No one, no one gets away with sin. Never. You can get away with sin when you're young. You can get away with sin, perhaps through your whole life, perhaps you don't get caught. But maybe on your deathbed, it'll come out. Maybe after you've died, it'll come out, if not, on judgment day. Jesus said in Luke chapter 12, verse 2 and 3, What you have whispered in secret rooms, it will be shouted from the rooftops. It's going to come out sooner or later. Numbers chapter 32, verse 23, your sin will find you out. Your sonder you jou all." You can't get away. So stop hiding it. Confess it. Bring it to God. Bring it in the open. Bring it in the light. Sin thrives in darkness. Sin thrives in secrecy. It grows. Where if it's in the light, it dies. Bring it into the light. Bring it to the Lord. Let the blood of Christ wash you from all sin. You know, two rather famous preachers, one quite, actually very famous... And the other one, famous in reformed circles, both these men in the last four years, their sin have come out after they died. Their sin came out. Actually, the one just before he died, and therefore he committed suicide, and the other pastor, oh, everything was wonderful. He, had, he, he even had terminal cancer. So he had chance to the, right to the end of his life to say, "I've sinned against God. He didn't, He kept it. he didn't. And then when he died, a few months afterward, the whole thing came out. A serial adulterer, both of these men. Serial adulterers, hiding their sin. And they were unsuccessful, just like David. God saw the whole thing. Now, perhaps you're under great conviction tonight. You've heard this sermon. And you realize you're on a wrong path. And worst of all is, you knew. You knew you were going onto a wrong path. And you did it anyway. You thought, I don't care. I'll think of the consequences later. And now you listen to the sermon and you think, what have I done? Or maybe you haven't gone that far yet, but you're on your way there. And you wonder, can the Lord ever forgive me? The Lord can forgive you, and the Lord will forgive you. If you are truly sorry for your sin, and that sorrow leads to repentance, and leads to you being angry at yourself, not blaming everyone around you, but blaming yourself, taking responsibility for your sin, and hating your sin, and being willing to bear the consequences, that is true repentance. And then the Lord will forgive you. 2 Corinthians Chapter seven, in verse ten, Paul speaks of true sorrow and and worldly sorrow. So, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. Vāra and false and And he says in verse ten, godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. And then he says, you had godly grief. Your your sorrow for sin, you being sorry for your sin, it was genuine, it was real, it wasn't fake. You didn't cry, I'm so crocodile tears, I'm sorry. I'm sorry I did this. And then when there are no consequences, oh, I'm so glad there are no consequences, now I can continue. Verse 11, For see what earnestness this godly grief has produced in you, but also what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, that means anger, what fear, what longing, what zeal, what punishment. At every point. You have proved yourselves innocent in the matter. So Paul is saying this was genuine. You were like like that woman where Jesus said to her, go and sin no more, where she repented of her sin. You were like Proverbs 28, verse 13. He who hides his sin will not prosper, but he, he who confesses his sin and forsakes it, leaves his sin, he will obtain mercy. You'll get mercy from God. You'll get forgiveness if you are sorry and you turn away. And you'll be like that that Christian who fell into sexual sin. I spoke to the man. And the man was crying because he had been unfaithful. He had sinned against God. And I read that verse to him about, about true sorrow and false sorrow, godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. And he said, but how will I know? How will I know my sorrow is real? And that man's sorrow was real. How do I know that? Because, because he wasn't just sorry for the shame of his sin. Now he's embarrassed, he's been caught. He wasn't just sorry for the consequences. Now I'm in real trouble. My wife's gonna really be angry and probably divorce me. No, he was sorry for the sin itself. He was sorry because of what he had done to the name of God and to his wife, and and he hated the sin, not just the consequences of sin. And he repented, he truly repented. And he was willing to bear whatever the consequence may be. I'm willing to bear it. That shows real sorrow. I'm I'm willing to face the music because I I was wrong. No excuse for sin. No blame shifting. Take the consequences. Bear the consequences. Bear the guilt. And, And he really did all he could if his wife was willing to try and fix the marriage. And it worked. God restored their marriage. God restored their marriage to such an extent, it is now years later, and their marriage is a healthy marriage. It's a godly marriage. They happily married, a happy family, and their marriage now is better than it ever in the past. Even on their best days before, their marriage is much, much better now than it was then. And that because of the mercy and the grace of God, so I can tell you truly that the Lord's mercy and grace is greater than your sin. Where sin abounded, grace abounded all the more. meer Romans 5 verse 20. We sing that hymn in our church, our sins they are many, his mercy is more. So perhaps you have sinned, you've really messed up, or you're on a wrong path. God's mercy is great for those who turn to Him. God's discipline is severe for those who hide their sin, for those who secretly sin and think they'll get away with it. So come into the open. Get it clear. Get it open. Read Psalm 32 again, where David says, When I hid my sin, I even got sick. I was on a sickbed. Things were going bad for me. But when I stopped hiding my sin, I stopped covering my sin, and I brought it to God and said, Lord, will you cover my sin? Then God covered it. God covered it with the blood of the Lamb. God covered his sin and removed it. So if you trust the Lord and you make David's confession your own confession, You take it for your own, then God will forgive your sin. And the reason is not because it's such wonderful words, and you said the right words in the way you confessed it. And oh, the eloquence, and oh, the passion with which you pray. It's not about that. A a pastor once told me about a man in his church who was busy with very serious sin. And he told me, he said, that man can make David's confession look like a Sunday school picnic. The way he confesses his sin, but he's still busy with it. And then he comes back and you catch him again. Oh, I'm so sorry. I'm so, and Oh, the way he confesses. It's not about the way you say the words. It's about the heart. It's about are you coming to Christ and then God will bring forgiveness. Why will God bring forgiveness? Not because of your sincerity even. But because 2,000 years ago, the son of David came and was butchered on a cross. He was murdered by the hands of men. And even under that, God's great plan worked out. and God poured the vials, God poured the, the bowls of his anger upon his son. And Jesus took it willingly for sinners like us and for all these ugly things we do, the filth, things we shouldn't even mention in Christian conversation. Jesus took that anger, crying out, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh, why? Martin Luther says, put your hands in your pocket and take out that hand. What's in that pocket? The nails that nailed Jesus to the cross. It's in our pockets. It's our sin. Jesus took that out of love for you and for me. And if you will turn to Christ, to this Christ, then God will forgive you. God will cleanse you. Yes, the consequences for sin might remain. But oh, the forgiveness, the sweetness of God's forgiveness for sinners. That is why God didn't kill David. That is why God didn't send David to hell for for, for committing adultery with another man's wife, for murdering the husband, for telling lies, for being prideful and slothful and lustful. The reason why God why God didn't kill David, why God didn't send him to hell is because of, a, because of Jesus who came a thousand years later and took the punishment for the sin. God didn't sweep David's sin under the rug. God punished David's sin on Calvary. And God punishes your sin and my sin in his son on Golgotha. So I want to close by reading to you Psalm 51. And it will appear on your screen. I'm going to read from the English Standard Version. And make this prayer, your own prayer, whether your sin is adultery, whether your sin is something else. Let us pray this together. To the choir master, the Psalm of David, when Nathan the prophet went to him after he had gone into Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin, for I know my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. This really bothers him, keeps on thinking about it. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight that you may be justified in your words and blameless in your judgment. Lord, you are right when you say, you've sinned, David. I'm not blame shifting. I'm wrong. Verse 5, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. The problem is much deeper than my adultery. It's right into my nature, who I am. It's twisted, it's broken. Behold, you delight in truth in the inward being, and you teach me wisdom in the secret heart. Purge me with hyssop. With hyssop. They used it to cleanse lepers and to paint the blood on the doorposts in Exodus 12. So cleanse me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, I shall be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. If the bones that you have broken rejoice. Lord, I don't have joy. I don't have joy anymore. My sin, my relationship with you is broken. Fix it. Hide your face from my sins. Blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence. Take not your Holy Spirit from me. Lord, you took the spirit from King Saul when he messed up. Please don't reject me as king. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. Uphold me with a willing spirit. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, and sinners will return to you. Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God. I murdered a man. O God, of my salvation, and my tongue will sing aloud of your righteousness. O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth will declare your praise. Like I can't even praise you. I'm so, so vile. So filthy. Cleanse this tongue, Lord. And this heart. Verse 16. For you will not delight in sacrifice. Oh, I would give it. You will not be pleased with a burnt offering. The sacrifices of God, what God wants from you, are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O oh God, you will not despise. Do good to Zion in your good pleasure. Build up the walls of Jerusalem. Then you will delight in right sacrifices, in burnt offerings, and hold burnt offerings. Then bulls will be offered on your altar. You get right with God. Then come and worship with God's people, and your worship will be acceptable. Oh, Father, who of us can say, We are clean from our sin. Oh, only by the blood of Jesus. We all stand before you tonight, in one sense, guilty because we are sinners. In another sense, guiltless, innocent because of Jesus. As the Roman soldier said, when you died, Lord Jesus, truly this man was innocent. This man was the Son of God. Thank you that you clothe us with your righteousness, with your innocence, with your blood. Cover us anew, Lord Jesus, that we may stand guiltless before the Father. And help us where we have strayed from you and we have backslidden, that we would return to the Great Shepherd of our souls, to our Father, to our Lord and Saviour, to our friend. Forgive us for grieving you. Forgive us for making you sad. Forgive us for ignoring you and for sinning against you and for thinking only about ourselves and not caring for you or about you, Lord. We have sinned. We pray your forgiveness in Jesus' name. Amen. The Lord bless you, and then God willing, till next Sunday.